Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beza Show. I hope you're doing wonderful on this Thursday. We have lots of stories to get into, so let's go ahead and waste no time and jump into our first story. Donald Trump gave an interview, uh, and he was asked about the possibility of him being indicted, and he talked about how, hey, if I am, I could run again. But then the part that I really want to take issue with is he also used what I think was an obvious threat of the fact that the wording he used was there will be big problems in America if he is indicted. And of course, what he's indicating and what we've seen many of these right-wing figures lately uh, allude to is the fact that right-wingers are going to cause violence, are going to riot if Trump is indicted. And so the interesting thing, and I think I've discussed this before when we were talking about Lindsey Graham uh, saying a similar thing, is what they're saying is true. So why is there a problem with it? Well, when a third-person spectator does some analysis and says, listen, I think if Trump's indicted, there's going to be forms of violence that take place. There's going to be riots. That's understanding the reality in America and diagnosing it and then giving your perspective. But whenever you are one of the leaders of the movement that would be causing that violence, you have a different level of responsibility whenever making those predictions, right? Because whenever you are the one who has the power to call on or off those people, then you got to wrap up that statement with 10 levels of caveats directed at your followers that, listen, if I am indicted, though, I want you to know you should not be violent. You should not do anything outside of the law. But of course, he's not going to do that because he likes the idea that he has the power to threaten this if he's held accountable. And so he gets to say, if you hold me accountable, if you indict me, there's going to be violence. So watch out, um, as you'll see here. You, you know the old saying, a uh, prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich if they want to. I'm just asking, if there is such a prosecutor and they indict you, would that deter you from running for president again? I don't think the people of the United States would stand for it. And as you know, if a thing like that happened, I would have no prohibition against running. You know that. you've already. I do. And that's what I want people to understand. That would not take you out of the arena. It would not. But I think if it happened, I think you'd have problems in this country, the likes of which perhaps we've never seen before. I don't think the people of the United States would stand for it. What kind of problems, Mr. President? I think they'd have big problems, big problems. I just don't think they'd stand for it. They will not they will not sit still and stand for this ultimate of hoaxes. You, you know, the old. So, uh, again, what he's saying at the core of it is true. We are going to have some problems to deal with if Trump's indicted based on the response of his followers, likely. I hope that's not true. But also, I don't have to do a big public announcement begging people not to do that because they don't listen to me. Trump is the person they would be doing the violence on behalf of. So he has a responsibility within any discussion about what might happen uh, in regard to his audience if he is indicted. He does have a responsibility to make it clear to them that that is not how they should act. And then to talk about the thing he said at the beginning of his uh, statement, it is true that there's no uh, prohibition, as he said, or no law against, nothing in the Constitution, him running if he was indicted. So you could set up a situation where he's either in the midst of that, or even if he was in jail, in prison, he could still run for president. Now, uh, for the 2024 election, there's no chance that everything could go down, trial, all that type of stuff, and him actually be in prison. But even just him being someone who was indicted would still be something uh, or a situation in which he could run for president, which is a weird 
weird situation. It makes sense uh, because you don't have to outline every reason why someone shouldn't run for office. The idea is the people would understand that someone's not fit if they were indicted with something. But that's not the country that we live in, unfortunately. So uh, I am really worried about this. I really hope that um, somehow when this does go down, because I do think tr- Trump is going to end up being indicted, that this won't be a massive uprising from the right. I mean, we saw what they did on January 6th, and that was, you know, based on such immaterial things that they believed in. At least in this case, they would have an image of Trump actually being uh, criminally charged with something, and they would have a little bit more of uh, on-earth reason to be upset, even though they shouldn't be because he is just being held accountable for wrongdoing that he actually did. And of course, they don't believe that. But hopefully we don't see big problems, as he said, but I'm afraid that we will. Nancy Pelosi is feeling more confident these days about the Democrats' chance of holding on to the House in the 2022 midterm. So we've been discussing the shift in polling significantly in the Senate and then also in the House. And the Senate looks like there's a pretty good chance the Democrats will be able to hold on to it. They have, uh, you know, more likely than not that they will as far as polling goes. The House, they're still massive underdogs, but polling has been shifting in their direction. And we've had a few cases where in these special elections that have happened, a Democrat way out uh, performs the polls or even in the New York, New York example, the Democrat who was down in the polls by, I think, eight points for much of the race, was never up in the polls, won the race. Didn't just outperform the polls, but actually won the race. So the hope is a lot of the elections could be upsets. And even though it's just like a 28 out of 100 uh, chance that the Democrats hold on to the House, that'll actually come true, which would be wonderful. So here's Nancy Pelosi speaking to this uh, idea and feeling very confident about it. And then we'll look at polling from 538. Look, right now, my focus is on holding the House. How many times have I told you over the past year and a half plus that the Democrats would hold the House, despite some of the um, so-called conventional, so-called wisdom in Washington, D.C.? So-called Nancy, so-called Pelosi, so-called making a statement. Saying that in the off year, the president's party always loses uh, Congress or or seats. Uh, The fact is... That isn't conventional, and it isn't wisdom, because convention has changed. We communicate in a different way. Uh, We have a different reality here now in terms of our own democracy being on the ballot, our planet being on the ballot, the future of our country being on the ballot. And uh, also, we always believed we would win, so we always prepared for it. Okay, so... One of the things I struggle with, uh, apologies, is what's more effective? Saying, oh, it's going to be so difficult for us to win, that's why you have to go out to vote, or uh, having confidence so that your voters know that it's worth it, excuse me, um, to, uh, to go out to vote and it's not just completely hopeless. And you kind of have to strike a balance. So I never want to see the party that I'm rooting for over sell and say, oh, we're absolutely going to win, you know, 100%. Otherwise, I think you take away a little bit of the urgency behind people. But then you also don't want to feel like there's no chance. Otherwise, people won't go out to vote. So you got to strike that balance. And interesting to see Nancy Pelosi there. Uh, 
And then I don't like how she waved off the fact that it is conventional wisdom and it is the pattern that the uh, party who won the White House often doesn't do well in the next midterms because that is a uh, you know an effect based on our system you have two parties likely because things aren't going to be perfect no matter what people will blame the problems that they uh, see that their political system hasn't fulfilled and they'll blame the party that's in power they'll blame often the president's party that's in power and the uh, house and senate will sacrifice you know people within that party because of it and it makes sense and uh, I don't like her pretending like that's not something that would be a huge obstacle to overcome in this midterm. But I do agree with her uh, assessment that this is not a conventional time in American history. This is such a different political environment. And so understanding that will allow you to have better um, analysis about the midterm. So to look at polling, first, we'll just look at where is it now? And then we'll look at how it has changed. Um, so this is from 538. Again, it uh, you know, puts together a bunch of different polling into one average. And right now it has the chances of the Democrats winning. I think it said 20, 28 earlier. I'm going to say 29 out of a hundred and Republicans at 71 out of a hundred. So you look at this at normally and you would think, okay, pff, Republicans are going to win. Absolutely. Right. But one of the interesting parts about it is on 538, they'll show you how it's changed. And you can see the only direction since July, uh, mid July, that polling has gone for the Democrats is up. You know, it's gone in the Democrats' direction. And so you see on July 11th, the, uh, Democrats' chances were the lowest it looks like it got was 12 out of 100 of holding the House. And, uh, Republicans had 88 out of 100. Um, so an 88% chance of winning the House. Then you come all the way to now and it's 29 to 71. And we still have, you know, a couple months ish, a little under, um, until the midterms. And so you could see that continue to change. And then if people do outperform the polls, because again, this is a reflection of the polls and it seems like Democrats lately have been outperforming the polls, uh, you could have a situation where Democrats hold on the house and that would be historic, uh, or at least historically less likely. Um, and obviously would be the best thing for the future of America and for um, this next two years. Because what we're going to see if Democrats lose the House is just everything's going to come to a halt. Biden won't really be able to do anything except for executive orders here and there. Nothing passed in the Senate by the Democratic Party is going to matter because the House won't be able to pass it. And maybe we'll get some form of bipartisanship on something that's not that significant. And that would be very unfortunate because I think there's a few things Biden and the Democrats must get done to have even, you know, uh, followed through enough on some of their campaign promises. We went over during my Patreon bonus show this last uh, week. I do a weekly bonus show for the patrons. So patreon.com slash Luke Beasley. If you want to get the full show uh, hours before any of the stories get uploaded to YouTube, so obviously, if you're watching this on YouTube, you just get the one story that come out over the course of a few hours. If you're a patron, you boom, you get the whole 30 minute multiple stories all in one hours before any of them get uploaded to YouTube. Uh, and you get a weekly bonus show. And uh, what we did on the show was go through Biden's last speech before the election and grade it compared to what he's gotten done. So what did he say in the speech? What was he promising at the time? And then what has he ended up following through on? And I was pointing out 
he needs to do a few more things. There's a, we wish he could do a bunch more things, right? But as far as within the political reality, I still think there's a number of things that he needs to address and get done. Um, and he would need the support of the House and Senate for that. So if we lose that in the midterms, it's game over on that agenda. And that would be very unfortunate, not to mention uh, the damage that Republicans would attempt to do. Obviously, having Biden in there would prevent significant legislative damage, um, but just the obstruction they would be able to take play, uh, take part in or uh, head up would be devastating. Jesse Waters brought Lindsey Graham onto his show, and it was just a bloodbath. Um, interestingly enough, Jesse Waters agrees with Lindsey Graham on everything Lindsey Graham is going to say, except for the timing and strategy of Lindsey Graham proposing uh, this abortion bill. So if you missed it, Lindsey Graham came out somewhat randomly and proposed a 15-week abortion ban nationwide. And that was important by itself. But then also, what I, I think why um, he's gotten a lot of heat for it is the timing of it's horrible. And it's so contradictory to everything he said about his stance on abortion previously. So, so many of these Republicans liked to pretend that their only stance was that abortion should be left up to the state. And they would say, I'm pro-life. I would want it to be restricted in my state, but, you know, to each their own (laughs) or to each its own, whichever the phrase is. And other states can figure it out on their own and it should be a state's rights issue. Well, then all of a sudden, Lindsey Graham comes out with this federal abortion ban right as, as you'll see Jesse Waters say here, uh, it seemed like maybe the Republican Party got a good tool to attack Biden with a fresh bad inflation numbers that they could use. And at that exact same moment, Lindsey Graham comes out and gives the Republican Party a huge kick in the gut. Because as we know, America is not on board with their stance. They're just not. Um, so watch this. It's a pretty long clip. I won't show the entire thing, but I'll show a lot more than I usually show just because so much of this is entertaining and uh, fascinating to watch. Senator Lindsey Graham joins me now. So Senator Graham, Republicans are very... Senator Lindsey Graham joins me now. That was so weird. Very angry at you. <laughs> You're getting a lot coming for this. Yeah. It's like he's half singing. Very angry at you. Why'd you do it on that day? Not great timing. Don't you see that? Uh, I'm proudly pro-life, and I have no apology for being pro-life, and there's no bad time to defend the unborn. So if you expect me to sit on the sidelines and watch the Democratic Party try to pass the most radical abortion law in the history of the country, you're talking to the wrong guy. What What do I oppose? Schumer and Pelosi have proposed a law for the entire nation that will allow abortion on demand until the point of birth. They're set. Okay, uh, so I don't know why that's such a common talking point all the time. Oh my gosh, and some, some Republicans go, and they think that abortion should be legal after birth. Totally, okay. Um, but even that's not true. The bill says viability is the line, and then states would be allowed to restrict uh, abortion access and healthcare services relating to abortion um, after the line of viability, except... If the healthcare providers have, um, you know, reasoned that the mother's life is in danger, which is what they pretend to care about, because as we've talked about, some of these super restrictive abortion bans have devastating consequences when there's no understanding that oftentimes you need to do an abortion um, after the line of viability whenever the fetus is no longer viable or um, 
it dies, you know, or uh, the mother's life is at stake, whatever it is, whenever you don't clearly lay that out, it causes huge problems. And so that's what the democratic bill would do. It would say you can't restrict abortion before viability and then after you can except for in this case. Other nations on the planet have that. Which again would be the life of the mother. Extreme view. China and North Korea are I two got of the it. seven. We all agree on that. Well, no, wait a minute. Now, listen, I'm not going to sit on the sidelines and let America become that kind of nation. No one's saying you need to sit on the sidelines, but yesterday wasn't the day to do that. Yesterday There's, was the day <laughs> they lost all momentum when this inflation thing punched them right in the face. And you gave yeah. him an out. A lot of uh, people don't like that. You could have well, done it on any other day, yeah. just like you could have delayed the whole press conference like <laughs> Joe should have delayed that stupid party. Uh, so I, I take issue. I don't think I don't think there's a bad day to stand up for the unborn. What am I trying to say? I hate that talking point for all the reasons you would expect. But then also just uh, narrowing in on him. <laughs> there's never a but yes. There's a pretty much a bad time to do anything in politics. You have to be strategic with when you decide to fight on certain issues, when you decide to propose certain legislation. You know it'll have an effect on the conversation. And right now, Republicans are getting backhanded over and over politically because of the issue of abortion. So you throwing that into the mix is going to hurt your party, which I love. Go Lindsey Graham. He's helping out the Democratic Party right now a lot. Obviously not go Lindsey Graham because what he's trying to do is something bad. But um, because we know that that piece of legislation has no chance of passing, I kind of like that he did it so that it can show who the Republican Party is, because this is what they would want to do in their ideal world. And they pretend that it's not. But him proposing this has absolutely made that more clear. That America needs to have a policy that makes us a civilized nation. It would bother me that if a baby's aborted at 38 weeks in California, New York, what am I proposing for our country that at 15 weeks when the baby can feel? Again, let's just think about this logically. Who out there? I'm just saying intuition. Who out there would decide to carry, do all of the physical labor it takes to develop a, uh, fetus and then decide at 30 something weeks never mind i went through all that but now i just want to randomly abort it that's not a thing if people don't want to have to go through pregnancy they get abortions earlier than that if they do sometimes things go wrong and then you're forced to do that so that the baby for example doesn't come out and immediately suffocate that was one of the stories we heard where the doctor said we know once you birth it, it's going to be immediately, you know, be in a lot of pain and die. So the best course of action would be to abort it right now, but uh, because of the laws, we can't, and it's going to cause a lot of problems. So that's the only thing that uh, Lindsey Graham is, you know, fear mongering about. And they pretend like they care about the life of the mother, but they obviously don't based on this legislation, based on their articulation of their views pain. You provide anesthesia to save its life. If you operate on it, it should be protected from being dismembered by an abortionist. That puts us in line Ugh, with France, language. Germany, Great Britain. They all have abortion bans below 15 I weeks. understand. So, and the people well, are with you on you, that. No, you're I'm right. I'm not going to apologize. You're, you're right. No. Ever apologize I got about you. standing up I got for the you. unborn. It's, and you know what? It's, we need it's to not, go the Okay. First of all, I don't want to get into a whole discussion about why the abortion stance that I have is correct, but go watch previous segments. I can't take the fact that he acts so morally justified. There's never a bad time to fight for the unborn. How about you fight for the born once in your life? 
How about you do something to help people who are already born, who aren't still in the process of being manufactured by another biological being, who gets to have the, you know, decision-making power to decide if she still wants to use her bodily functions to create that being, and do something for people who are already individual beings with rights outside of the womb. How about you fight for people who are born once before you act all moral about how much you're going to protect the unborn? offensive here. It's not what's in your heart. Americans agree with that. They're against abortion well, after the first trimester. But there you got to talk tactics, Senator. It's terrible timing, terrible tactics. We could have shoved this down their throat on the day the Americans got hammered with this inflation number and the market crashing. And now all the media and the Democrats are talking about federal abortion ban, federal abortion ban. You know, that's not smart politics, right? They're lying. Here's what I. What are we lying about? (laughs) We say 15 week federal abortion ban. That's what it is. I would say, I know, uh, everybody knows inflation's out of control. This is the most extreme agenda for the American people on the border when it comes to crime. And let me just say this. It is now time for the pro-life community to lend their voice to the most extreme measures being pushed by the Democratic Party. We should. Okay, so you got kind of the back and forth there. So really fascinating. I genuinely, I've been thinking and thinking and thinking, don't know why Lindsey Graham chose to do this right now. I don't know if it's because the reality in his state maybe would make it where this is good for him or a particular donor groups would give him a lot of money if he did this or he just randomly wanted a bunch of attention and wanted to be in the center of the political conversation. I don't know. But it's definitely politically suicide, a uh, political suicide for the Republican Party. Obviously, it's the wrong decision from a policy perspective, uh, but I, I can't understand it. And clearly, even the right wing feels that way. We'll get to more examples of this later in the show. But Jesse Waters there grilling Lindsey Graham for his pretty bad but shockingly transparent and honest as far as what the Republican Party stands for decision-making uh, with this piece of legislation. Charlie Kirk went after Lindsey Graham. We've talked a lot already, um, but to give you a little bit of a summary for the people watching this in segment form, uh, Lindsey Graham proposed a piece of legislation that would ban abortion federally at 15 weeks, and it's caused a lot of the conversation to shift back, even though it was still being discussed. It's even more focused on abortion rights. And a lot of people on the right are really upset about this because it's not good for the Republican Party politically. Um, so here's another example of this. Charlie Kirk uh, calling this election interference. Now, I just want to reemphasize this. I am 100% pro-life. I am outspokenly pro-life. I am so pro-life that I'll debate anybody on the topic at any time. The only exception I could possibly imagine is life of the mother. And I will defend that position morally, scientifically, and biologically, and philosophically. But introducing a piece of legislation that you do not have the votes for, like not even close to having the votes for, it's not going to pass, is the only rationale is that you want this election to be about abortion? And if it was Josh Hawley, I would say, okay, or Ted Cruz, why is Lindsey Graham? 25 days out from ballots going out, galloping in and saying, we need a federal abortion ban? Really, where have you been, Lindsey Graham? That feels like election interference. And I say this as someone who is so pro-life, I would love a total abortion ban. 15 weeks is not enough. But I'm also not dumb. 
25 days out from ballots going out, the Democrats are applauding. Thank you, Lindsey Graham, for making this issue about abortion. They're enthusiastic that Lindsey Graham is now making this all about the one issue Democrats actually can win suburban women on. I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that the country was as pro-life as I am. So he's correct, which is not something I find myself doing a lot, agreeing with Charlie Kirk. I mean, obviously not about his uh, pro-life stance, but about the reality of this politically. So someone who <laughs> proclaims to be so pro-life, it's insane, being Charlie Kirk, uh, is even upset about this, a piece of legislation that largely he would agree with being proposed because it's so politically damaging. And I honestly don't understand as I said before in the previous segment, why Lindsey Graham did this. It makes no sense. And I'm great that he made clear to the American people what the Republican Party stands for, because this is what they would ultimately want to see. Absolutely. Probably more, definitely more extreme than that. But from a political standpoint, right before midterm, you know that this piece of legislation is not going to pass. You're not, not even in power. So the Democratic Party isn't going to cross the aisle to pass this piece of legislation. All it is, is a big proclamation that, hey, if you put us in power, we'll try this. That's devastating for them politically. And uh, if Charlie Kirk is seeing it, it's there. <laughs> he has a hard time seeing quite obvious things. Uh, and so I think this is a great example of how ever since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, it's almost this feeling of the Republican Party is the dog who caught the car right? For so long, they've wanted Roe v. Wade to be overturned. They've wanted to have the ability to legislate about uh, what women are doing at any point in their pregnancy. And now they got it. They got the ability and don't know what to do with themselves. They're stumbling and mumbling and falling apart. In Kansas, getting backhanded by the voters, uh, deciding to keep abortion rights in their constitution in a red state, Tons of elections being swayed heavily by this issue and them not really knowing what to do with themselves now that they have the opportunity to do what they've been wanting to for so long. And it's really fascinating to see. Hopefully people will be motivated by this issue and understand what Lindsey Graham wants to do as all of these right wingers who are criticizing him admit is also what they want to do is have a federal legislation. Um, not all of them admit to this, but they in their heart of hearts, uh, that would ban abortion after a certain point. That is what they want to do. And it would cause um, huge ramifications, as we've seen with certain states who have put these laws in place and women being uh, massively hurt, massively lives threatened, all of that type of stuff. And that is, in their ideal world, what the federal law would reflect. And so it's so important that people understand that, uh, recognize it, and show up to the polls because of it. Okay, we got... One more story of kind of the reaction to Lindsey Graham's 15-week abortion ban legislation that he proposed. Of course, it has no chance of passing, but for some reason he did it, and it's causing people on the right to lose their mind because this is not good for them politically. And so even people who agree with him on his stance don't like that he proposed this legislation now. It shifted the conversation back all the way onto abortion, and that's not a good issue for the Republican Party. So here is another example of that. The conservative host on The View saying, uh, not knowing why he did this. 
So, well, it was, it's bad politics for Republicans. So we, uh, for for a long time, my party has argued that states should decide abortion rights. rights. When Dobbs was knocked down, that was most of what the statements were. This should have always been decided by the states. So Lindsey Graham just went completely rogue by saying this should be federally, we should have a federal Why? restriction on Why abortion. Why do you think he did that? Honestly, I think he thought it was going to get him goodwill with some parts of the base. But I, oh. I disagree with the approach entirely. So the vast majority of the country believes in some access to abortion and some limitations. 15 weeks is on par with some places in Europe, but let states make that decision. Have the, well, like, how about let the women make that decision? Well, the hell with these states. Well, let the women vote. I'm sorry. I'm right. sorry. The women voting in states. It's, well, it was, it's bad politics. Uh, sorry about that. Um, so she's right about how, uh, as far as the American people's stance on this, what Lindsey Graham is trying to do is not in line with that. And we're seeing that just generally seeing the effects of Roe v. Wade being overturned and seeing certain states and the ramifications of the laws they've passed is causing people, I think, to a little bit adjust their view and get more motivated to fight for the right uh, that women have to make those decisions. And so it's a really, really wild situation. For so long, the Republican Party just wanted the ability to legislate on this, but the Supreme Court had made it where they couldn't. And now they got the ability, and the only thing that's happening politically, now that they won on this issue, in a way, is they're getting damaged by it. So then, ah, wait, I want so bad to legislate these, you know, women's bodies, but then at the same time, I don't want to get hurt super politically, and I don't know what to do. Uh, so then you have Lindsey Graham over here doing something that the rest of the right is confused and mad about. And they're a mess. And I live for it. Hopefully this does hurt them quite significantly uh, in the midterms. And I think what may happen is this may be the turning point on the issue of abortion for good. Where you saw kind of with climate change, where way later than they should have, way later than it was scientifically clear, finally some conservatives started going, okay, yeah, maybe we're causing climate change, but eh, whatever. <laughs> I think a similar thing is going to happen with abortion, where now that so much of the American public is outraged with what happened with Roe v. Wade, and specifically now what states are doing because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we'll see a turning point in American history where this stops being the issue for the Republican Party, or one of the main issues. And so they'll still have heavily pro-life people in their movement, but it won't be the big stamp that they want to be stamped with um, any longer. And that seems to be the reality going into these midterms, and I can't see that changing in future elections, which is fascinating because for so long, it was the flip almost, where so often the Democratic Party try not to just make their center point message about abortion or some of these other issues that weren't um, economic, and instead the Republican Party would do more of that. And it was such a motivator for the pro-lifers to talk about the issue of abortion. Now it's flipped because we're seeing the effects, um, I think, and just opinions have changed even before the overturning of Roe v. Wade uh, of not allowing women to have that ability to decide if they want to continue using their body to produce another being. And so it's really, really fascinating to see. Hopefully, uh, Republicans learn their lesson, we'll say, but at least just lose because of this in the midterms. And we will continue to follow it very closely. I want to look at this moment that happened during a House hearing where uh, a GOP congressman got in a pretty heated back and forth with the person who was um, the witness, I guess, or being questioned, um, who had come forth in this hearing. And she gets really 
uh, rightfully, you know, irritated at this congressman for the covering up that he still, that the Republican Party still does about the lack of action on climate change and the fact that uh, we're not doing anywhere close to enough to address that issue, to set up a situation where future generations have some earth that is livable. Um, so here's that moment. Everything you have, your clothes, your glasses, the car you got her on, your phone, the table you're sitting at, the chair, the carpet under your feet, everything you've got is petrochemical products. What would you do with that? Tell the world. If I had that power in the world, what, actually, I don't need that power, because what I would do is ask you, sir, from Louisiana. I'm giving you the to power. Search, You're presenting, to search you, sir, from Louisiana, positive. to search your heart when, and understand why the EPA knows that toxic petrochemical facilities My are some of the lady. most toxic, I, polluting trying, facilities in the, the floor, world boo. and are killing black people throughout Louisiana. Okay, so my so first thing would to be with you to search your heart consumed. and ask your God what you are doing to the black That's and our poor God. people no in Louisiana. That. You know, uh, that would be my first Good stuff. Uh, so here's what gets me. It's so clear now as it has been for a very long time, but it's even more clear now that we have a real crisis on our hands. And part of the reason why we're not seeing the action on the issue of climate change that we should is because, as she was identifying, it affects poor black, brown communities disproportionately. Generally, as we see with pretty much everything, uh, these negative effects are going to hit more disadvantaged communities a lot more significantly. And so because of that, so many of these people who are already elites, they're already powerful, they already have the wealth to get around any of the negative effects, don't care. And they won't act on the issue. And that is why in a good healthy democracy, you have representatives who care, who actually uh, respond to their voters properly, and um, would act on this issue, not because it would affect them necessarily, but because it would affect the people they're supposed to be representing. But we've seen because for a lot of these Republican politicians, even their voters will get affected poorly, many of them. Um, and they don't care because it's more important to them that they continue getting the big donations from the oil and gas industry, from all of these uh, people who don't want to see that happen. And it's heartbreaking. And I love how she turned that around on him and said, wait, wait, wait. Why are you asking me what I would do? You're the one with the power in your hands. And I'm saying, you got to figure it out. And pretending like it's impossible to get around, obviously, yes, much of our economy is run right now on non-renewable uh, sources, and it would be a transition process as we're in the middle of, uh, not fast enough, but we are transitioning. But we know you're not even attempting, especially the Republican Party is actually actively trying to obstruct proper action on the issue. And uh, when you try to get down to the nitty gritty, so often they'll try to do these red herrings, oh, straws everyone's going to be drinking you know the paper straws and is that what you No, the way that this happens is massive significant regulation of certain industries and then investments in others to try to shift the markets to where it is more um you know financially beneficial to be investing and consuming green energy um in the case of energy and then a whole nother conversation as far as production goes of different consumer goods but it's so important that we have 
a motivated, urgent working body of representatives who are you know, going towards this issue. And the reason I want to do this on the show today is because we're talking about all these different things and uh, we spend a lot of time sometimes based on what's in the news discussing an issue, you know, one or two issues get a lot of discussion and they're important. For example, lots of discussion around the democracy uh, threat that is present, lots of discussion around the recent abortion actions by the Republican Party, and that is crucial. But we can't forget the other issues that matter as well in the midst of fighting on these very important issues. And climate change is one of those issues. And I think it's being forgotten a little bit um, because it's being overshadowed by some more what is felt to be urgent or uh, here and now. And it's not at all talking about the future, but climate change is here and now as well. We're seeing the effects now. We're seeing the extreme weather events. We're seeing the rising average temperatures. We're seeing um, all of these things that are going to cause devastation for, uh, as she pointed out, already disadvantaged communities the most. Those are the groups that will be hit the hardest. Um, and they won't have the resources to effectively get out of the situation they're in. And so it's important that we continue to understand another reason why it's crucial to go out and vote in the midterms is because while the Democratic Party is not doing at all either what they should, not enough, at least they're doing, you know, historical, uh, historic levels of investment into climate change response and climate change, um, you know, investment into addressing that crisis that's what we saw in the inflation reduction act the most that's ever been invested into that cause and so they should do much more but they're doing a million times more than the republican party would ever do and that's just yet another reason on a massive stack of reasons why uh, the republican party needs to stay out of power um in the government because they're not bringing us towards a better future they're not addressing important issues like they should, and uh, at least we have a chance with the with the Democratic Party. Thank you all so much for watching and listening. I will see you all tomorrow.